Section eight of Sir Francis Drake by Julian Corbett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter four Gloriana and her Knights. Part two. With the close of Essex's mission, Drake's services were no longer required in Ireland, and he came home with a glowing letter of recommendation from the Earl of Walsingham. Essex had been thoroughly impressed with the capacity of his new officer and now that he could no longer find him work he sent him to the spirited secretary of state as a man fit to serve against the spaniards the expression need not surprise us through good report and evil report walsingham had been essex's staunchest friend both were consistent supporters of the war policy and walsingham may even have asked for a likely man for once more the wind had gone round and was blowing gustily from the stormy quarter Cobham's mission had proved a failure, and he returned without having removed the Grand Inquisitor's opposition to the proposed extraterritoriality of heretic merchantmen. In Don John of Austria, a new champion for Mary Stuart was sounding his challenge in the lists, and under his countenance the English Catholic refugees had fitted out a pirate fleet. Daily the council were debating a war with Spain, and seriously considering the proffered allegiance of Philip's Dutch rebels. Walsingham was now supported by all the council except the old peers and Philip's pensioner. Even the cautious Burley was catching the war fever. The city merchants, trembling for their trade, were still hesitating, when in January 1576 came the news that a ship of Sir Thomas Osborne, one of the greatest of the merchant princes, had been seized in a Spanish port, and its crew flung into the dungeons of the inquisition it was the last blow to the time-honoured alliance as the affair of Veracruz had been the first the country was thoroughly roused elizabeth was furious parliament was summoned to provide the sinews of war and cobham went over to brussels to threaten that if alva's convention were not at once ratified the queen would put into execution some remedy for her relief that she would not willingly yield unto it was no idle threat soon after the delivery of essex's letter drake had been surprised by the sight of walsingham's grim face in his lodgings as soon as they were alone the secretary had unfolded a map and informing drake that the queen had received injuries of the king of spain for which she desired revenge asked him to mark upon it the points at which philip might be most annoyed thinking his hour had indeed come yet cautious still in the midst of his excitement drake began vaguely to hint at his mighty project walsingham at once asked him to reduce it to writing and sign it but the wary seaman was not to be caught no doubt he preferred to keep his own secret for the king of spain's eyes might be anywhere besides he was too good a protestant not to be overflowing with the idea of which the assembling parliament was full and he refused to put pen to paper her majesty is mortal he told the secretary and if it should please god to take her majesty away it might be that some prince might reign that might be in league with the king of spain and then will mine own hand be a witness against myself it was all walsingham could get out of him then but a few nights later he received a summons from the palace and was introduced by the secretary into the presence of the great queen herself 
with all the witchery she so strangely exercised over the sturdy chivalry of her time she appealed to the young sea-captain as some distressed princess to an errant knight her caitiff kinsman had foully wronged her she was pining for revenge and he alone was worthy of the quest so with a woman's art she claimed his service and drew from the eager seaman the outlines of his immortal project for a raid into the golden sea full of hopeful resolve he left her but it was only for new disappointment by the end of march the wind had changed again the wayward queen had quarrelled with her parliament for being as protestant as drake and had rudely dismissed the dutch envoys the breach between the two natural allies widened as the summer went on till in the autumn elizabeth was actually contemplating an act of policy against the prince of orange walsingham was in despair he saw his efforts to open the perverse princess's eyes were useless he saw she had obstinately made up her mind that philip meant peace and determined to save her from herself his unrivalled genius for management seems to have shown him in drake an instrument to force her into war with spain how the affair was managed it is still impossible to say but there can be no doubt that the queen was approached through hatton and no one at that moment was better calculated to lead her into mischief than her handsome captain of the guard fortunately thomas dowdy's talents had again served him in good stead and he was now hatton's private secretary dowdy's eloquent tongue turned the favourite's head with the dazzling prospect which the venture promised and in due course the queen told drake she was ready to subscribe a thousand crowns to the expense of an expedition to penetrate the south sea but it was on the express condition that the whole affair was to be kept a profound secret and she gave stringent orders that above all not a word of it should be breathed to lord burley so like a naughty child did this strange woman try to cheat her most trusted counsellor but the lord treasurer was not so easily outwitted he knew everything though he kept his peace and quietly went to work to prevent the prank on which his wayward mistress was bent sad to relate a tool was ready to his hand no one knew better than he and iago when he saw him and with such a man he could play as he would dowdy ignorant perhaps of drake's relations with walsingham and the queen felt that his own court influence had done everything and jealous of the prominent position which drake assumed revealed the whole project to burley it takes away the breath to think that the great minister with whom all the glories of elizabeth are associated should have deliberately set to work to wreck the most brilliant and typical achievement of her reign yet what the instructions were which doughty received from the astute old schemer became only too plain in the sequel meanwhile drake without a suspicion of his friend's treachery threw himself into the work of floating his company and organizing the expedition it was in a happy hour for just now the town was run mad on exploration in the autumn of fifteen seventy six frobisher returned from his attempt to discover a northwest passage into the south sea and had turned every one's head with some ore which he had brought from labrador court and city vied with one another in supporting his venture for fifteen seventy seven and drake caught the tide of speculation at the flood leicester hatton walsingham and other courtiers took shares freely sir william winter elizabeth's admiral at sea 
so warmly supported the scheme that the younger winter was appointed vice-admiral it also seems to have received the sanction of the hawkinses for young william hawkins the son of the governor of plymouth sailed with it cadets of the best devonshire families freely volunteered and when the little sea captain with his fine clothes and his page and diego his negro strutting at his heels swaggered into the temple to see tom doughty there were found plenty of spirited young barristers weary of their briefless existence and eager to embark their younger son's portion in a romantic adventure drake's frank blue eyes and hearty self-reliance spread confidence around him and he was soon busy equipping his expedition regardless of cost in plymouth harbour three ships were brought forward for a voyage to egypt there was the pelican of one hundred tons and eighteen guns which was to serve for his admiral or flagship the marigold a bark of thirty tons and sixteen guns and a provision ship of fifty tons which he called the swan after the little vessel in which he had founded his fortunes in september john winter came round from the thames with a fine new ship of eighty tons and sixteen guns named the elizabeth and a pinnace of fifteen tons which drake rechristened the christopher in honour of hatton the marigold and the swan were commanded by two of the gentlemen volunteers mr john thomas and mr john chester while the christopher was committed to tom moon the trusty carpenter who had scuttled the old swan off cartagena five years ago doughty seems to have considered himself as captain of the land soldiers but otherwise had no command the crews all told numbered one hundred and fifty men and fourteen boys and included men of science as well as combatants and mariners amongst these doughty was careful to enroll an ally for some months past his brother john had been confined by order of the council without a trial on a charge there is reason to believe not unconnected with the scandal about lester having poisoned essex hoping probably never to hear of him again lester had been recently induced to consent to his release and for this ominous recruit doughty obtained a place as gentleman volunteer from a natural lavishness no less than a sagacious belief in the efficacy of display no expense was spared to make the squadron as splendid as possible skilful musicians were engaged and arms and munitions of the best patterns provided while the flagship was fitted with all the splendour proper to the dignity of its commander's commission as captain-general his table furniture was of silver richly gilt and engraved with the family arms his cabin was redolent with perfumes which the queen herself had given him and in every way he was surrounded with all the state and luxury of one of her majesty's admirals at the sea to the end drake suspected nothing true doughty had been overheard in drake's garden at plymouth making use of expressions which seemed to hint that the queen and the council were to be bribed into winking at piracy but drake would hear nothing against his friend indeed there is no reason to believe that doughty revealed the destination of the squadron to the spanish agent though the spaniard must have guessed that the thin disguise of a venture to alexandria covered another of those sharp surprises with which elizabeth loved to season her diplomacy don john had assumed the government of the spanish netherlands and the exiled english rebels were gathering round him in spite of alva's convention in the summer letters were intercepted revealing his romantic dream of conquering england for the love of mary stuart and the spanish agent caught in correspondence with the scots queen was sent to the tower 
at last walsingham and leicester persuaded elizabeth she was being betrayed and war was on every one's lips arms and troops and projects to annoy the king of spain were the only talk in the council and it is impossible to believe that secret orders had not enlarged drake's innocent commission for trade and exploration as on november fifteenth fifteen seventy seven at the height of the war fever he ran proudly out of plymouth harbour End of section 8